Last One to the Party, the podcast where we check in with someone who's checking out a classic film, long-running TV show, or legendary performer for the very first time. There have been a lot of notable years in music. 1955, Chuck Berry, Little Richard had their first hits. 56, Elvis was on Ed Sullivan. 1964, The Beatles are on Ed Sullivan. 1969, Woodstock, so on and so forth. I was watching, going down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos, and I came across one video where the host on the YouTube channel, Rick Beato, who's a musician and a producer, was talking about a particular song and, and mentioned that it came out in 1978. And then he kind of, you know, suddenly said, 78 was a great year for rock music. And then he listed off all of these albums that came out in 1978 and said this was a really good year and I'd had that feeling for for a long time I remember being uh seventh grade Boy, so long ago to have been only in seventh grade and I remember that year being very distinctive for some reason I think it coincided well it was on the heels of Saturday Night Fever which sort of swept the world by storm and I was listening to that soundtrack over and over and over and wearing uh, making, demanding that my mother buy me polyester shirts and um, really tight bell-bottom jeans. <laughs> Yipes. Uh, but then somewhere shortly after that, I got an AM-FM cassette radio for my own, and I discovered the FM side of radio in San Francisco, which meant there was, you know, the vestiges of sort of free-form rock radio still a little bit. And rock radio in San Francisco was very different than the Top 40 radio. And suddenly I found myself thrown into this other world that felt darker and more important and more serious. Uh, and I was won over immediately. But there was also kind of a wide range of stuff. Now, if you think back and you look at the charts for 1978, you might not be convinced that it was all such great music. <laughs>
So that's kind of a range of things, you know, from the sublime to the ridiculous. I mean, the the disco stuff, the BG stuff still holds up. I think it was dismissed at the time, but You Light Up My Life is pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> and Some Kiss You All Over is also weird. I mean, I like it as a song, I think, still, but it's a little weird. So um, so you start wondering, like, well, what, where's all this great music? And what Rick Beato name-checked was The Cars' first album came out in 78, Devo's first album, Dire Straits, The Police, Squeeze, and Van Halen all came out with their debut albums that year. And my best friend at the time, he and I listened to, started getting into at that point, a lot of guitar-based rock music. And we had seen, there was a documentary that was on ABC that was hosted by Jeff Bridges called The Heroes of Rock and Roll. And they go through, you know, the beginning to current day, which at that time was 77, 78. And that's when we first saw Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and you know Chuck Berry and all of that stuff too. And so we started really going down into it and listening to a lot of that stuff. Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, the Eagles, all of that sort of stuff. And we were really into guitar stuff. And it was a lot of it was a lot of stuff like that. have been a weekend or it was during the summer i forget what when it was and i think we were kind of late to the party on this one john john and i the way i remember it is he called me up and said you've got to come over and listen to this and he was lived about a half a mile away so i rode my bike or i walked on down whatever it was and i got to his house and he put on a record Right from the beginning, you know, I, I didn't include the very intro sound of that record, which is supposedly, uh, I think it's Volvo uh, car horns being detuned or something. Um, right from the first notes of that, we knew we were in new territory. It felt vastly different than what we've been listening to. Jimi Hendrix certainly was a masterful guitar player, but it was very much more psychedelic and kind of spiritual and cosmic in a way. And Jimmy Page was interesting and exciting, but kind of messy in the way he played. I think Jeff Beck was cleaner, but we didn't really listen to that much Jeff Beck. And then, you know, some of the other stuff you hear, Heart and uh, things like that, the Eagles. But it was all very blues-based. 
And some of it was, you know, the typical kind of like pentatonic noodling, you know, kind of sameness, kind of one riff over and over and over. And this had a precision to it. And it also didn't seem to be born as much out of the blues as the other stuff. It had a kind of a classical element to it, especially when we get to this. everybody else that was the thing you couldn't figure out how he did that on a guitar nobody had done things like that on a guitar to our knowledge and so you know with the shadow of eddie van halen you know his recent passing looming over us it's interesting to note what an impact he had i mean and everybody talks about it so i'm not saying anything new but it was astounding the level of precision that he had uh, that he brought to it was completely brand new and it changed the game and it changed how you talked about your guitar heroes from that point on because he just kind of usurped everybody i mean me personally i still have a real affinity for Jimi hendrix because i think he's just so vastly creative so that blew the tops of our heads off but at the same time we were getting into that kind of new newer rock guitar rock uh, there was something else in the mix at the same time, which I always really, in retrospect, enjoy. These things were rubbing shoulders with each other on the radio. So I would be listening to, you know, KSAN, KSJO, a little bit later, KMEL, Camel, and KOME, which their ad campaign was literally, don't touch that dial, it's got cum on it. And also they would uh, promote the cum spot. So... I don't know how they got away with that, but they did. So in listening to those radio stations, you'd hear, you know, ACDC and Led Zeppelin and Van Halen and Black Sabbath. But intermixed with that would be this other newer music coming over the horizon. Can't seem to face up to the facts. I'm tense and nervous and I can't relax. Can't sleep because my bed's on fire. Touch me, I'm a real live wire of foreboding I think in a way with both of those kinds of music and what I also remember fondly is that there was a local TV station TV 20 
uh, <laughs> that had a video program that they did, I think it was once a week on Wednesdays. And this was way before the age of MTV kids, um, kids, 40 year olds. And so they would show videos and it was a half an hour program. And so they could get about six or seven videos total in that time slot with commercials. And that's when we would see some of these videos. I would, I remember seeing a video for the song Double Vision by Foreigner, a video for Godzilla by Blue Oyster Cult. And then also a video by a band, two different videos by this band, raised the bar and in for my money they are the most radical band of that time i i understand the history many learned musicologists have gone on and on about the but the history of music much more than i could just off the top of my head right now and then we'll tell you about the dolls and the ramones and punk rock going across the atlantic to the sex pistols and the clash and the jam and on and on and on i get it Nobody was more revolutionary than these guys. fully enjoy how almost atonal or 12 tonal they get with that are we not men repeated back and forth it just is unlike anything else that was popular at the time and we happily we live in a time when any of you listening to this can can turn me off and go to youtube and pull up the video of that song are we not men slash jocko homo it is bizarre it's almost david lynchian and it's fantastic and i saw one of i don't remember if i saw that one first or if i saw their other song from 1978 first
the case of their cover of Satisfaction, I, I think I like it better than the original. Ultimately, of course, it's great. The original is great. I'm not saying it's not. But that one is really interesting. Like, if you're going to do a cover of something, do it up. Make it different or don't do it. And they certainly did. It sounded like some sort of mechanical steam-driven engine and not a drum beat. It was great. And again, watch that video because there's oddities in there with their characters of Bougie Boy, I think it is. And they cut to a guy doing a weird spastic dancing. It's great. Again, this is to me more cutting edge and maybe even more unsettling, certainly in retrospect, more unsettling than the Sex Pistols. The Sex Pistols are just sort of loud, obnoxious in your face. You know, again, music college was discuss the importance of the Sex Pistols. That's neither here nor there. They've been so normalized that what the Sex Pistols did that was so crazy frightening is no longer crazy frightening. Whereas when you watch those Devo videos, I feel like you kind of are like, what am I watching? It's very avant-garde, which I really like. There's a story that goes around in our family. We were visiting our relatives in, in Georgia in 77, Maybe 70, maybe seven. It was the summer that, that Elvis died. So I think that's 77. And there were news pieces about the punk rockers on the network news. And they were showing these British kids with their super glued mohawks and their pins through their cheeks and their things. And one of my relatives had maybe one, one more beer than maybe he normally did. And he started shouting at the screen about these dodo yo-yo punk rock losers and that phrase became a, a catchphrase for our family for quite some time those dodo yo-yo punk rock losers i think if he had seen devo it might have rendered him speechless or he might have just run into the street screaming uh, but i think they're great again i don't want to beat that to death devo is the best so then that christmas I remember asking for several albums and getting four or five albums for Christmas. And that began my real sort of descent. I don't know if that's the right word into music obsession, really. And the albums were Doobie Brothers Minute by Minute, which I later, much later found out was the record that they did not want to make because they they were broken up. Like they made that record. I think they made that record and were struggling through it. And then we're like, screw this. We're done. We hate each other. We're done. And then they had hits. They had What a Fool Believes and Minute by Minute became hits. And they had to go out on tour behind that record and hated every second of it, which is crazy. But I had Doobie Brothers Minute by Minute, Santana, Inner Secrets. That Santana record, Inner Secrets, started me a love affair for me with Santana's music. I love the combination of rock with the Latin percussion. And I saw him in person shortly after that album came out and then systematically bought every single one of his albums. Even the sort of middle period where he's doing kind of fusion-y meditative music, and it's not what you would expect. It's not like the first three albums are great. Those are classics. Uh, the albums that he made in the 80s are pretty okay. I have a fondness for him because I grew up with them and so have nostalgic attachment to them. But I think but basically it's mostly cover songs and it's adequate, it's fine, it's nothing earth-shaking. And then in the 70s there was a lot of real spacey chimes, bells, meditative, extended jazz, fusion-y things. I even bought those records. I bought Welcome. Um, so that Inner Secrets, I saw the video of them playing Well All Right on TV20 
and was transfixed. I love that combination of those two sounds. Rush Hemispheres, and there might have been one other one in there. But yeah, 1978 for me, the end of 78 for me was a lot of this. My other sort of uh, claim to fame is in fourth grade, uh, my friend's older brother played physical graffiti, Led Zeppelin's physical graffiti for us. And I asked for that for either my birthday or Christmas when I was in fourth or fifth grade. And my uncle, who is about nine, ten years older than me and a drummer, he looked at me when I told him what I wanted. He was like, really? Like, what? How is that on your radar? Uh, I always wear that as a, a bit of a badge of musical honor. And then the other musical trivia thing is in the Doobie Brothers Minute by Minute singing background with them on the Minute by Minute, Minute by Minute, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson is singing background on a Doobie Brothers record. This is pre-off the wall. Because if it's 78, off the wall was 79, maybe 80. Maybe he was recording off the wall. But yeah, that's Michael Jackson in the background on that Doobie Brothers record. One other musical oddity in that Rush song from Hemispheres called La Via Strangiato. They play this. And if that sounds familiar to you, it's because it's music by Carl Stalling, who wrote music for the Bugs Bunny cartoons. That's literally Bugs Bunny music in the middle of this prog rock nine and a half minute odyssey. Very strange and a little off-putting. I remember, you know, being an eighth grader, seventh grader and wanting to, you know, be importantly into this heavy music and oh, it's so meaningful. And then it's that. I was like, what? It's a little, it was a little disappointing. Like, I don't need your funny references in this. I'm trying to be full of angst. I'm 13. There's one more piece of music that stands out as being prototypically 1978 for me. And it's by virtue of the music my sister was listening to more than, than I was. And I kind of turned up my nose at, at this basic genre at the time, uh, but later embraced it as much as anything. And having said that, this song still broke through that snobbery and still was like, whoa, something else is happening here. One nation under a groove And the overwhelming memory that's tied also with One Nation Under a Groove is my sister 
convinced my parents that she should be able to host a dance party at our house. And uh, we rigged up the garage. We had a separate garage just in front of the house. And we put our stereo speakers, got extra long cable, and cabled out our stereo speakers into the garage. And I guess we hung up lights and just crammed a bunch of 8th and ninth graders, or ninth and 10th graders, or all ninth graders, whatever it was, into that garage. And I got to be DJ. And when I played One Nation Under a Groove, the place came apart. Everybody was dancing for the entire eight minutes of that song. And... They loved it so much that I went ahead and played it again right away. And at first, I think there was a groan, maybe like, what? But then they got back into it because it's like what I, sh you know, had if I had two turntables and a microphone, I would have just, you know, looped it to itself. So it just played for, you know, 16 minutes. But yeah, that's a real strong memory that's tied to that song is that nighttime dance party, ninth graders, sweaty dancing to that song that that was another thing that seemed foreboding or something i'm not sure what but it was the beginning of something so yeah maybe 1978 was a good year i don't know there's other great ones that we could explore also i think 91 is you know the year that grunge exploded all over everybody um but yeah 78 was kind of a real impactful year off the top of my head as i started to put this together there were things that i had to put aside because they were either 79 or 77 uh the knack was 79 i was sure that was 78 but they got apparently they got together in 78 and then recorded it and it was released in 79 my sharona um and then there were other things that were 77 but you know within that realm there was this interesting you know i think it was interesting that there was this holdover of fleetwood mac rumors and you know led zeppelin rolling stones huge bands and you know sort of mainstream bands like thin lizzy and then van halen coming onto the scene but also buffered with you know as we heard elvis costello and the police and squeeze and even more daring new wave groups i think that was a real interesting mix of things and all of this intertwined also with the kind of resurgence of disco music so there was a there was real distinctive stuff happening so reach out and let us know what you think about 1978. Is it such a good year? Is it not a good year? Is there a better year? Is there another year that's equally good? Drop us a line at lastonetothepartypodcast at gmail.com. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. Just search for Last One to the Party on Twitter. It's technically Last One to the Pa, number one. Last One to the PA, number one, at Twitter. Uh, also on Instagram, we're Last One to the Party Podcast on Instagram. So you can follow us there and stay abreast of all the things that are happening uh, with the podcast. But yeah, reach out and let us know 1978, yay or nay. Am I full of beans? Or, or was it actually kind of interesting? Thank you again for giving us a listen. Please give us likes and subscriptions on uh, Apple Music if you can. It helps to put us in front of other people and helps get us some attention and then maybe make even more bigger productions and more interesting things that we can do for you. All right, thank you once again, and we hope you join us again next episode. If you'd like to follow Jessica online, you can find her on Instagram at Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. And Elena is E-L-A-I-N-A, -A, Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. You can follow me on Instagram at James underscore Eason underscore music. Thank you.
The show is produced and edited by me, James Eason, and the theme music is composed by me, James Eason. 